0: It was my first trip ever to Colorado. I was in fifth grade. We were avid skiers, but we are from Pennsylvania, where the mountains aren't quite so big. We were really psyched to get out here and start skiing. Uh, we're at Vail, we're having a powder day, and me and my dad, uh, my brother, a couple friends, we decide we're gonna go hit the back bowls. Anybody been to the back bowls of Vail? I got Kyle in the back now. And, uh, well, it's, it's an amazing experience. Well. Uh, Well, we just start dropping like flies, to be perfectly honest. We start heading to the back bowls, and this one guy, he crashes, and my dad's helping him, and my brother and I are so excited. We can't be bothered stopping, so we keep going. The next thing you know, I'm crashed. I'm I'm this little kid stuck in this field of powder, and I'm looking for my ski and all that, and my brother, he can't wait for me. So next thing I know, I'm all alone. But I'm having the time of my life. I get my ski back on, I ski down, I take another couple runs. I'm like, I don't care if nobody's here. I mean, this is the most amazing experience I think I've literally ever had in my life. Well, it's getting towards the end of the day, and I have enough sense that I'm like, well, I should probably go back and meet up, you know, down at the lodge or whatever. So I do just that. I get off the lift, I go down, and I see our group all gathered around. And the ski patrol is all gathered around with them there. And I just kind of come skiing up like I don't know anything. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? And everybody, of course, says, there you are. You know, and and they're, they're, they're like cheering. They're happy. They're excited. I'm like, what's happening? They're like, well, we thought you were lost. We thought you were dead. We thought we'd never find you. Uh, all, you know, And I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. And, and I, I'll never forget this moment. Then I'll never forget. Then my dad, I, I think he literally actually probably got down on one knee because I was just a you know, little, little kid. He's like, George. Do you love skiing? I said, dad, I I love skiing. This is awesome. He's like, like, George, do you want to keep skiing? I was like, oh, I want to keep skiing, dad, so, so much. He said, George, never tell your mother what just happened. You can never tell your mom that you were. So here's the thing about that story. Here's what that's all about. I was lost, but I had no clue. I had no idea I was lost. It was actually my father who was the one who was rejoicing when I was found. Let me say that again. It was my father who was the one who was doing the most rejoicing when I was found. Because I had no idea how my life was. And now as you think about it, the back of Colorado, my life was actually quite literally in jeopardy, wasn't it? There is that kind of lostness that we know nothing about. Of course, there's another kind of lostness that we can experience in life. And it's when we actually know we're lost. And I'm not talking about, oh, I'm lost on the drive and I check my GPS and I get on the right track. It's the lostness of, oh, I'm lost and in danger. I'm lost and in peril. I'm lost and I need found. I'm going to read you a story about lost things. Jesus had a theme coming into this actual, it's actually not a story, it's an event about a lost man. It's a story that should be familiar to a lot of us, I would imagine, but even if it is familiar to many of you, I hope that it will be very, very fresh for you this morning as we think about our God's love for lost things. Luke chapter 19, gonna read verses one through 10 here. Oh, we found the remote, super. Starting here in chapter one. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Just so we can drive that point home, can you say that with me? The son of man came to seek and to save the lost. I'm going to let you in on a little secret that's actually maybe no secret to any of us who are willing to be honest with ourselves. We're all a little bit lost. (laughs) We're all feeling a little bit lost. Maybe we're all feeling a little bit lost, maybe now more than ever. Past couple years of our lives, past couple years of our world, it seems that maybe our compass has gone askew. Maybe we feel like they've actually changed the map on us and we can't even find our way. We feel like we've lost our bearings and we can't get ourselves turned around straight because we don't know which way is left, right, up, down. We are feeling lost. All of us are feeling a little bit lost. Now, some of us get really good at covering up our lostness. We like to cover up our lostness with a really nice outfit or a really nice car or really nice clothes because then it looks like we're on the right track and we're just hitting it out of the park. Some of us like to maybe cover up our lostness with really meticulously manicured social media accounts where everybody just sees the vacations, they see the great meals, they see the and the preening and the posing and the shots that make us look, oh, so good. Maybe some of us, maybe some of us are even covering up some of our lostness by coming here, ironically. I'll cover up my lostness by going to church. Then everybody will think, I know God and I love God and God knows and loves me and I'm loving my neighbor and I have this whole church thing figured out and nobody would ever suspect how lost I feel actually on the inside. Well, my friends, I have good news for you today. Jesus loves lost things. Jesus loves lost people. I really need you to hear that this morning. Jesus loves lost people. Jesus loves sick people. I really need you to get that today. Your lostness does not shock Jesus. It's why he came. Your being sin sick is not an offense to God that drives him away from you. It's like, a magnet to the metal of our Lord that is drawing him to you, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. His mission, his purpose, his calling was to come and to find you because he knew you were lost, maybe before you ever realized how lost you were. Your lostness, your sin sickness, it isn't repugnant, it isn't repellent, it isn't an offense, it isn't this thing that Jesus looks on you, that God the Father looks on you and says, Oh, they're so lost, I want nothing to do with them. Oh, they're so sick, how could I have anything to do with them? No, our Lord Jesus said, I came to seek and to save my lost children. I came not for those who think they're already healthy and have it all figured out, I came for the ones who are gonna call out, Jesus, I'm sick. I need a doctor. Please help. So maybe, maybe it's time for some of us to admit how lost we really are. Maybe it's time for some of us to go ahead and admit to God who already knows it, how sick you really are, because it's not going to push him away from you, friends, It's going to help him to fulfill the mission. It's going to help Jesus to do the thing that his heart desires more than anything else. It's going to simply help him to be able to say to you, you are now found a child of mine. Like he says to Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house. You too are now a child of God because you've welcomed me into the home of your life. Well, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. I'm kind of already getting emotional, actually, because I really do want to drive the point home before anybody leaves here today that Jesus loves lost and sick people and is on a mission to seek and to save your life. But the story that this unfolds, of course, happens in the context of meeting this man named Zacchaeus. Now, I have to have some fun with this because I know some of you grew up in a church and you just have to get some things out of the way. Zacchaeus was... All right, I know, all right, my Sunday school peeps in the house. Like, that, that's just stuck in your head forever. And if it isn't, praise be to God. You don't want it stuck in your head. Zacchaeus was the wee little man. So Zacchaeus, just get this tag about, so Zacchaeus was this short guy. I mean, let, let's just be honest. You know, he, he was really short. Okay, we've, we've been through this before. Whenever I'm asking you to participate with me, I am invited. Jesus was, I mean, Zacchaeus was really short. How short was he? He, 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 was, he was so short that, you know, just most of the goals in his life were just out of his reach. He was, he was so short. How Whenever he told his parents he was going to become a tax collector, they said, how could you stoop so low? He was so short. How Whenever he had this get together, they just called it a little gathering. Okay, one more, one more, one more, one more, one more, one more. Do you want any more? No, you don't want any more. You, want, yeah. you get it. All right. When, when Jesus said to Zacchaeus, ye have little faith, it was actually a compliment to him. So you're allowed to have some fun, it's true. So, okay, so, so we get it. Zacchaeus was this short guy. He must have just felt like, you know, things are just against him from the start. This underdog, you know, like metaphorically, but literally like this underdog in life. This guy short of stature and then probably short of feelings or beliefs or confidence in himself. He decides he's got a path to kind of make a way in life. He, he is going to actually, and here's the key now, here's the key. He's going to sell out his own people and try and buddy up with the Roman system, but it's going to kind of leave him with nobody. So he's this guy and he's born, and we know he's born into this Jewish family because his name is Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus means clean or pure of heart. But his life has become anything except clean or pure of heart because in order to become a chief tax collector, and by the way, a chief tax collector is like the guy at like the top of the pyramid. So he's, got the, he's the tax collector with tax collectors with tax collectors, and he just kind of sits in his booth and lets the money roll in. Now, his people aren't too happy with him for this decision in his life. But the Romans who he's buddied up with, they don't have a lot of respect for him because if you look on somebody who turns their back on their people, they're like, mm, you know, don't trust that guy too much because if he did it to them, he might do it to us. So he finds himself in this position where maybe he got all the power he ever wanted. Maybe he started to get all those riches that he thought was gonna make everything so great. But it seems to me that he's come to a point where he's realizing, maybe this power hasn't really put me in the position that I wanted. Maybe all this wealth hasn't actually bought me things that matter most in my life. He's betrayed his people. He's turned his back on his faith and on his God. He's, he, he, he's gained this power and this wealth, of course, but he, he seems that it's got to a point that he realizes just, just how lost and alone he really is. It can be a very Difficult experience in life to realize you spent your whole life chasing after something only to get that thing, only to get that job, only to get that office, only to get that position, only to get that house, only to get that car, and realize it's not fulfilling all the needs that you thought it would. So Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming into Jericho, and I don't want us to miss the beauty of the story of God and what God does in telling us his story, that once there was a man named Joshua who was coming into the city of Jericho, but before he could come in, he had to march around that city seven times and then call out to God, and God answered that prayer and was fulfilled the promise, and the walls came tumbling down, and, and God's people, God's grace, the movement of God was able to come in and to bless the people. Well, now it seems that there's a wall around the city of Jericho, or at least around the heart of this man named Zacchaeus. And Jesus is going to come in. Jesus, the new Joshua, Yeshua, is coming in. He's going to tear down some walls in this man's life. So just understand the beauty of what Jesus is doing here in the story of God and how he's breaking into our lives. He hears that Jesus is coming, and he realizes, though, he's at a very serious disadvantage. Because in order to see Jesus, he can't stay in his tax collector's booth where he has all the power. He has to go out into the crowd where he's got none. And he realized he's going to just be set up as a disadvantage. But here's the part that I love. This is like the bonus, and we'll get back on track. you got to love how God seems to honor and bless people who decide to use their disadvantage to an advantage. They kind of take that thing that maybe at one season or for all of their lives, they thought, man, this is the thing that's really setting me back. And maybe God is saying, maybe that's the thing that's going to set you apart. Maybe that thing that you thought was putting you, you know, kind of behind is actually going to thing that actually gets you ahead there's a great history of God working in people's lives this way in the chapter just before this we hear that as Jesus was approaching Jericho before he even gets in through the city gates the crowd is already starting to murmur and there's this blind guy and he says what's happening and the people say Jesus is coming to town and he can't see he can't fight through the crowd he is at a disadvantage too but he has an idea I might not have sight but I've got a voice. So it says he starts to call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And you know what the people said? Shut up, calm down. You're, you're, you're shaming yourself with this display. And you know what he did? Shouted all the la- I'm going to shout all the louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it gets the attention of Jesus. And Jesus just stops. The crowd parts. The man comes before Jesus. What do you want from me? I want my sight, Jesus. And Jesus responds. Earlier in the life of Jesus, we know that a crowd is gathered in this house and these four friends have this other friend who's lived his life on this mat and they can't get through that crowd. They can't get through the door. They can't get him to Jesus. So they just decide, well, if we can't get through the door, you know the story. Maybe we're going we're gonna to go through the roof. You think this mat is a disadvantage? We're going to knock a hole and lower him down and set him at the feet of Jesus. There's this great story from the First Testament where this little boy, a shepherd, his name was David, he sees this giant that everybody is afraid of. He says, I'll take him on. People are like, you're crazy. You're disadvantaged. There's no way you can beat this guy. He says, beat this guy? Well, you're right. I mean, I can't pick up a sword, but I don't need a sword. I'm going to use my smallness. I'm going to use my low of statureness. I'm going to use my position here as an advantage. I'll just take this sling and this rock and just take him out. Our God seems to love people who are able to see things differently. He'll be able to see that disadvantage or that thing that we've only perceived as a disadvantage is that thing that's going to set them apart and get us into the sight of Jesus. You know, when people are like, man, I'm small, but you know what, I can sling a stone. You know, you know I'm on this mat, but I can get lower down through the roof. You know, I can't see Jesus, but I know he can hear me if I call out to his name. And this guy, Zacchaeus, says, you know what? I can't push my way through that crowd. I can't go around that crowd. I can't go under that crowd, but I'm so small. Maybe I can go over that crowd. You just got to love that Tenacity. That passion, that desire, that heart of this guy who says, I am so done with this life that I have lived that I am willing to undignify myself by like a little kid climbing a tree and going out on a limb so that I might encounter this Joshua, this Jesus who I hear has come to save. And so it unfolds just like that. He goes over, he climbs up a tree, Jesus sees him. And praise be to God, he calls out, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. Now you have to just love, you have to just love the audacity of Jesus inviting himself into Zacchaeus's home. And my people, I hope that you love the audacity of Jesus saying, you must welcome me into your home. You must welcome me into your life, into your heart. You must Welcome me in, and when Zacchaeus receives the audacious invitation of Jesus to come into his home, was it say? It says that. Well, actually, I don't really love the translation. It says that he uh, was very glad. Some of the other translations say he was joyed. Some other translations actually say he was overjoyed, and I think that's getting more to it. He received this audacious invitation of Jesus with overwhelming joy. With overwhelming joy, he was ready to receive Jesus into his life, into his home. But immediately as this happens, as soon as this is transpiring, not just some of the people, you gotta take note of this part, not just some of the people who said, all the people started murmuring. Apparently, nobody likes Zacchaeus. He had no friends left anymore. All the people were put off by this. Why is he going to Zacchaeus' house? Well, I'll tell you why. Jesus tells us why. Jesus is going into Zacchaeus' house because Jesus loves lost things. Jesus loves lost people. Jesus loves lost people who are willing to receive him joyfully and invite him into the home of their heart. Jesus audaciously welcomes himself into Zacchaeus's home. Zacchaeus is overjoyed to receive the Lord. And the people begin to murmur, "Who? who is this? Why, why would G- G- Jesus do this? And here's a, an interesting twist. Zacchaeus ha- has a response. This is how he's going to respond. Because he's realizing, I think in this moment, he's getting right with God. And you know what? In a lot of our lives, these transformations are kind of progressive. We don't get it all. It has to be dawning on him. Jesus saw me. Jesus welcomed me. Jesus is with me. Somehow he's experiencing this transforming moment of getting right with God. But as he hears then this murmuring of this people, I believe what his response is is telling us that he sees, I'm also going to have to get right with my neighbors. If what led me to this lostness was my pursuing the wrong things and feeling abandoned and alone and without a people, Anymore, I have to get right with my neighbors. And so he pledges on the spot this outrageous act of generosity. I'm just going to give half of my possessions away to the poor. And you know what we do with that? We take it at face value from the scripture. He was actually going to follow through with an outrageous act of generosity. I'm going to give half of everything I have back to my neighbors because I don't want to just be right with God. I'm going to be right with my people now too. And then he actually goes a step further. There's a lot you could say about this, I'm just gonna say. He then claims that if he has wronged anybody, that he's gonna repay them fourfold. The implication is that he is saying, I I haven't, I've I've done my job, I haven't cheated anybody, but if you feel cheated, if you feel wronged, I still wanna go over and above, to try and make things right with you. And with this, with this, Jesus makes this incredible statement This man, too, excuse me, Zacchaeus, is also a child of Abraham. He has become part, again, of the family of God. And then Jesus makes this wonderful, outrageous statement. For me, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, why did I come? Why did I come? Why am I here? Why is this all happening? For this very reason, I came to seek and to save my lost children. Now, two things are very important about that. Jesus is saying that he has the ability to find us and that he has the ability to save us. And that indeed, again, is very good news. But it's also saying something about us. And let's swing it back to this. There comes a time and a place in our lives when we begin to realize we are lost and we need to be saved. We're lost. We're alone. We're without God We're in the dark, we're in the depths of Sheol, we're like all these things that we've just sung about and talked about. We are lost and we need found, but not only that, not only like a kid skiing on the back slopes of Ale having a good old time, we are as good as dead and we need to be saved. We don't just need found, we need to be saved. The Son of Man came to seek and to save. In the church where I grew up, like any church, the pastor had a lot of catchphrases, you know. I'm always interested when people tell me what some of my catchphrases are. We're not always totally aware of the soapboxes we get on all the time and repeat all the time. But I know this, and I think everybody would say this about the church I grew up in. One of the pastor's favorite expressions was that the church is not a museum for saints, but it's a hospital for sinners. The church is not a museum for saints, but it's a hospital for sinners. That's a good one. I like that one. I think I've lived my life by that one for for, for a long time. But here's the thing that happened in that church with some people. Here's the thing that happens in churches all across the world. Here's the thing that could happen or might even be happening right now. Connections. There's a thing that when we first come to Jesus, we come to him like a sinner, come to a hospital needing to be saved. But when we experience that salvation, we begin to walk around the halls of that hospital. And I think sometimes we forget that we're the patients. I think that sometimes we start to put on our doctor's coats and put on our stethoscopes and we start to think that we're the ones who have it all figured out. We are the ones who do all the seeking, we're the ones who do all the saving. Now don't misread me on this, please. And don't misrepresent me on this. Do I believe and I'm grateful that I'm a part of the mission now of Jesus to continue to seek in the save and lost? Absolutely, 100%. Praise be to God for inviting me to this mission. Do I believe that he can use me in actually sharing his love and his grace and his mercy and bringing salvation to the hearts of sinners? Praise be to God, I've had the wonderful blessing of being able to pray with people and invite Jesus into their heart and see transformation happen in their lives. But you are never the doctor before the patient. We are never the doctor before the patient. Let no day pass where you don't first say to Jesus, before I get on with the mission of seeking and saving and healing, Jesus, I need your seeking and your saving, your salvation in my life. We never outgrow the need to first and foremost come to Jesus as we come to the hospital as soul-sick sinners in need of salvation, as lost children needing to be found, receiving again the goodness and the grace and the love of God who welcomes us home, who again is not turned off by our lostness, but is drawn to our lostness, who is not you know, repugnant towards our sin, but looks upon our sin mercifully and graciously and lovingly and wants to forgive us and make us clean and new and bring us back into the fold of God. Never, never stray too far Because when we stray far from that saving grace of God, listen, do you understand me? When we stray, when we begin to stray from that mercy and love of God, we just get lost again. We're in need of that salvation afresh in our lives. My daughter went on a mission trip uh, in 2021, and I thank you again for helping her go on that mission trip. And it was a wonderful experience in her life. It was just what she needed at just the right time. I truly, I truly give God thanks for what this church did and what God did in her life because she just went into a season of just incredible growth and maturity and blessing in in God's life. And as she talked about that mission experience that she had, she said, you know, it, it, it was an amazing experience because as soon as they arrived, all they did is they just reinforced, God loves you. God is seeking lost children. God is saving sin sick sinners. God is merciful towards you. God is willing to forgive you. God's a father willing to embrace you. I mean I mean I mean they just they just reinforced the grace and the love of God. It was great. She's kind of equipped her like you know, her like kind of love tank or God tank, everyone to phrase it, got all filled up. Uh, and then they sent her off on a mission and she served in mission for a couple months and she came back and she debriefed and it was great. It was so great actually that she wanted to go to stage two, phase two. And so we encouraged her to do it. And again, I'm very grateful for this opportunity. But when she went to stage two, and I'm so grateful she continued to talk with Robin and I and process with Robin and I, she began to understand it it seems that things are kind of shifting or kind of changing here. It was kind of like, now that I got Jesus, now that I got saved, you know, now I have to really live into my salvation. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Now I have to be really Christian. Yeah, you know, okay, you have to be really Christian. Now I have to have it all figured out. Well, I don't know if you have to have it all figured out. Well, now I have to actually live by the holiness and the righteousness of God. Um, Are they starting to slip into kind of a works-based salvation? I don't think they were, but you have to process this because what she was experiencing was that push that goes, it kind of goes like this. You know what, stage one is we receive this grace and this love and this forgiveness from God. But stage two, we got to get really serious about our faith, right? I got to be really good with my faith. I got to be really righteous with my faith. I got to be really holy with my faith. Can I tell you the absolute secret that needs to be revealed in this? There is no stage two There is no stage three. There's no stage four, five, six. (laughs) There's one stage. You know what the stage is? You are lost and you need found. And Jesus has come to bring you home. You are sick and you need a savior. Jesus is the great physician. That is the beginning. That is the end. That is everything in the middle. That we never stray from our need of His saving grace and love in our lives because to stray ever from His saving grace and love in our lives is to only need to be found again. And I know in my life, I have need to be found again and again and again and again. And I want to tell you, He's a faithful savior who keeps seeking and saving. He's a faithful physician who keeps coming to me in my sin, soul, sickness and offering healing, forgiveness and grace and love. So yeah, don't you know read too much into that. Yeah, we want to live above reproach. We want to live righteous. We want to live holy. Yeah, we want to live all that. But never put your being the physician, in front of your being, the patient. Never forget your mission to seek and to save the lost in front of your need to simply be found every day in the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite the team to come forward. They're going to help us sing a song that I think is really going to drive this home. And then we are going to come and receive the grace and love and the mercy of God through his invitation to join him at this table. This table where we can taste and experience afresh the love and the grace of God through Jesus Christ and his great sacrifice for us. So let me pray for us, friends, and we're going to sing a little bit and then prepare our hearts to celebrate communion. Ah, oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us so much to send your son, Jesus Christ, to us. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for loving us so much that you came literally, to seek and to save us. Knowing that we are lost and needed to be found. Knowing that we are sick and we needed a physician to heal us. Knowing that our lostness, that our sin doesn't push you away, but it is what draws you to us. So let us now, not celebrate our lostness, not celebrate our sin, but recognize our lostness, then recognize our sin and receive your finding, saving presence, your grace and your our lives afresh this day. Pray this in your name, Lord Jesus.